The American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 8. Welcome to the American Truck Driver Podcast. I am your host, Chris Polk, and I'm an American truck driver. The website is www.anamericantruckdriver.com. My email is anamericantruckdriver at gmail.com, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash anamericantruckdriver, twitter.com slash truckinzar. So today we are going to begin uh, the first episode with a co-host, and I'm going to be bringing in a friend of mine. His name is Ezekiel Goodwin, and uh, when I get him on the line, we will introduce you to him, and I'll kind of interview him a little bit so you uh, you get to know who he is, and then we'll discuss some uh, trucking issues uh, and cover some other things. Uh, we've got a couple of topics on uh, our mind this evening that we're going to cover and uh, just basically be an introduction to let you get to know uh, who he is and kind of tell his story and then we'll go from there so without further ado let's bring in the man of the hour ezekiel goodwin how you doing hey you're doing good chris thanks for having me on the show okay so let's uh Let's get all the pleasantries out of the way so you can explain who you are and what you're doing here. You uh, have been in the trucking business how long? Uh, just about five years. I started in fall of 2010. I uh, got hired on uh, USA Truck. They sent me through school and uh, paid for my school and put me in a truck with a trainer. Now, how I long did you... Did you have to stay there a certain amount of time for them to cover the whole cost of the school? Yeah, it was a year contract. Um, if I didn't, if I left, they'd, they'd, I'd have to foot the bill. Okay. Um, but yeah, after twelve months, uh, I was free and clear. Cool. Now you did some dedicated work while you were there. I did. I ran a little Toyota work for them. It was basically fourteen hours a day, five, six days a week. Um. I thought I was doing pretty well. Of course, compared to what I had been doing, it was good. Um, but it just it just wasn't enough for me. Yeah. And my family. So, uh, you know, the way we met was you contacted me on Facebook, sent me a message. Um, it was you sent it to the American Truck Driver page, right? Yeah. Yep. I and stumbled across you on Facebook. And so, you know, I, I got a, a message from you, and you asked some questions, and we ended up talking on the phone one night and then uh, became Facebook friends. You know, the, it's kind of hard to uh, – getting messages through the Facebook page is not always the best way because you don't get good notifications. So we became Facebook friends, and you started asking a lot of questions because you were considering – uh, going down the path of being an owner-operator. What led you to that decision? Oh, a number of things. Um, I had done the, you know, I had moved into truck driving basically because I wanted something more than just being an employee, uh, showing up, punching a clock, and being basically responsible for nothing besides showing up. 
I wanted more, you know, more to do with my income. And I thought, well, you get paid by the mile as a truck driver. So in theory, the harder I work, the more I'll make. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I got the, got my head knocked around a little bit and realized trucking was a little more than that. But I did realize that becoming a contractor and an owner operator gave you a few more options and you had a little more control uh, over over what you made that bottom line so you're coming up on right at your two-year anniversary with anderson trucking right yep last week yes sir so i was thinking about this the other day you know i can go back in my mind to 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 getting on that bus Ugh. uh you know after making that decision uh, and you know, if, and if you're just tuning into the podcast, you can go back to episode one, and I kind of tell the story of, of how I got to where I'm at. Um, but you know, leaving my job, giving a notice, and, and leaving my company driver job, and getting on that bus at like midnight, and getting ready for that 26 hour ride, and all the way up there, I'm thinking, God, what have I done? What am I getting myself into? You know, um, did you kind of have the same? Uh, experience that way um i don't think i was quite as nervous um it's it's definitely a change to realize that as a contractor you're responsible for a lot more you know if if i need to pay for a hotel it's coming out of my pocket uh if i miss an exit and drive 40 miles out of the way uh, that fuel's coming out of my pocket if I ding somebody's shiny new Peterbilt, <laughs> that deductible, $1,000 deductible is coming out of my pocket. It's, it was more the, the thrill of the, the new responsibility. Um, of course, Anderson has a, a great program. They have a, a lot of umbrella uh, safety net, so to speak. Um, you know, they've got the escrow account, the maintenance account. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot of things the, a lot of tools at your disposal there uh, but yeah no i definitely had the butterflies plus plus you had me you know kind of holding plus your hand i had the, a yeah. great mentor yeah. <laughs> so uh so now you're getting ready to lease uh your third truck um we we and zeke and i have had many marathon conversations about what's the next move for him you know is it get a truck go to landstar is it stay with ats you know, you've got uh, a wife and two kids and a new one on the way. It's a lot of uh, a lot of decisions to be made. And so, you know, you're getting ready to do this, hopefully for one more year and be in that position, go to Landstar or wherever you want to go with your own truck. The, the ultimate goal, you know, uh, my goal was to have a paid-for truck in five years. I'm going to miss it by five months. I'll, at five years and five months, I will have a paid-for truck. So, um is that your uh, ultimate goal right now? Well, that is the the wonderful thing about this industry is that there are numerous opportunities. You can do so many different things. Um, you've got so many different options. Um, eventually, yes, I, I would love to have my own truck free and clear, my own, you know, be an owner operator 100%. I'm sort of a lease operator now. I basically just rent the equipment. Uh, I'm responsible for everything bumper to bumper, really. But uh, I, it's not mine. I just rent it. And, 
No, I, I do. I, I'd love to be an owner operator, uh, free and clear. Uh, Landstar is a is a, is an option out there. It sounds like they've got a lot of good things going on. Um, honestly, I, I wouldn't mind getting my own customer someday and and pulling something for a specific customer to where I, you know, basically broker it myself and, and work it up. But that's you know that's several years down the road for that. Yeah. Well, as we go along and, and Zeke does more shows with me, you'll get to know him a little bit better. But that, that kind of gives you the basics of who he is and, and where he came from. So now we can dive into the uh, the topics for the day. And I kind of picked a couple out. Um, so the first thing we'll talk about is this story about the uh, pig protesters. Now, I've seen two different stories, and I think they're talking about the same people. But the first one was in Canada, and the second one that I saw was uh, from Smithfield Foods, which I think is in Virginia. So the story goes that there uh, are some animal rights protesters who are blocking the entrance to a, uh, a, a, I guess, a pig processing plant is what we can call it. Um, mm. Smithfield Foods Slaughter Facility. I'll have this link in the show notes from dailypress.com. Animal rights activists who tried blocking truckloads of pigs from entering Smithfield Foods Slaughter Facility on Friday say they plan to press charges after two trucks drove slowly through the group with one trunk bumping protesters out of its path. Um <laughs> Their intention was to block any trucks carrying pigs to the kill floor, said 81-year-old Alex Hershev, president of Farm. 81. Boy, he's... Wow. Pawpaw's out there trying to not get run over by a truck. Uh, he took part in a similar protest at Smithfield 10 years ago, was addressed, arrested and fined. Uh, well, you're 81. You ain't figured out that yet. Um, <laughs> the truck drove straight in without stopping, causing people in its path to scatter or fall to the ground. Others ran backwards to keep up with the truck, eventually moving out of the way. Uh, quote, what would you have done if the driver killed somebody? He could have easily killed somebody. Protester Chris Dietrich asked Smithfield staff standing outside. Um, so they, they plan on uh, pressing charges against the truck, and the Smithfield police did not make any arrest. So I put this out on the Facebook page this morning, and I, I've got some Twitter feedback from a guy that runs a, uh, a cute little account on uh, Twitter called The Orange Cone. He covers NASCAR. And uh, it was an interesting conversation, and he says, it's the mind of the protester that led to the creation of the country you live in. And I said, now, those were revolutionaries who uh, were fighting for basic human rights. Uh, and, and basically his argument as well, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's freedom of speech and it's not a big deal. And he brought up the Boston Tea Party. And I said, well, you know, the, the Boston Tea Party was about the government stealing private property from people. This, this is about pigs. So, mm-hmm. uh, my contention here is that this comes down to private property rights. Uh, someone owns the pigs, and someone transport the pigs to the slaughter facility. And it's my view that if you want to save the pigs from slaughter, then buy the pigs and give them a nice, comfortable home. 
when you stand in front of my truck and you try to block me from doing my job, you have violated my rights to free commerce. What say you, Zeke? Oh, absolutely, Chris. Uh, chalk this up. Just add it to the list of the million and one things that truck drivers absolutely must uh, watch out for. Um, everything from texting teenagers to <laughs> 90-year-old protesters uh, blocking the road to your job. Um, Don't kill you know, my pig, boy. Well, you know why weren't yeah why weren't these protesters uh you know at the front door uh protesting the men and ladies who uh, walk in the front door of this facility to slaughter the pigs you know why did they camp out at the the driveway of the cars the motorists that, that go to work you know they decided to pick on the, the truck driver and they know and so they know that the truck driver is not going to put up their garbage and that they can get big press out of, ooh, look, I got ran over by a big truck. And so they, yeah, they, uh, can, absolutely. they can get big press, which they've done. Uh, yep. You know, uh, it's – and it's more to me than just about trucking. You know, uh, I, yep. I have an animal that lives in my house. Um, you know, we bought and paid for her. She is a – she's property. She is our property, and she has rights as a dog in our house because she's in our house and she's our property. Somebody, No one can come steal her and come harm her because she is ours. But she is a dog. She does not have uh, a conscience, and she does not have uh, rights per se. But she's my dog, and if you try to hurt her, I'll kill you. Um, <laughs> but I have the right to protect this animal because she's my property but there are other cultures on this planet that eat dogs you know that would that would take my dog and kill her and eat her and not have a problem with it um i'm obviously not foolish enough to go and say oh well you need to change your culture because i don't agree with it um and and so you know when when you're talking about natural rights, which is something you'll hear us say, uh, you, you know, yes, we have a constitution that recognizes our rights, but in my estimation, and I, I think I can speak for Zeke here, it, that the rights came before the document. The document merely recognizes those rights and says long before, yep. yeah. The, the rights, the, the natural human rights, whether you believe that they come from God, as we would, um, you know, or you just, you're, you're standing, you're just a, a human being standing out in the middle of a cornfield, well, you have the right to life. You have the right to breathe. You have the right to defend yourself. And you have the right to own property. Mm -hmm. So this issue, uh, while it involves trucks, is, is about a much greater problem um, you know, I, I said in my comments on Facebook, I don't understand the mind of the protester. And, and it doesn't matter if you're protesting Wall Street, you're protesting pig slaughter, you're protesting abortion even. You know, I'm standing around holding a sign, look at me. Look at me. Me, 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 me. Hey, me. <laughs> I'm holding a sign. Uh, you know, I believe in action. I believe in voting with your feet. If you know, if you're so, um, if you're so passionate about a subject, climate change, uh, vegetarianism, 
whatever it is, well then just don't engage in that in that behavior. Don't be part of the problem. If you know for where you see the problem. But see, I don't have a problem with eating meat and there's there's no there's no book you're going to get me to read. There's no propaganda you're going to present to me. There's no movie you're going to get me to watch. It's going to get me to stop eating meat. I'm going to eat pork. I'm going to eat chicken. I'm going to eat beef. And there's nothing outside of, like, killing me you're going to do to get me to stop. Um, and so when I make a purchase or when I'm engaged in free market activity that is not harming another human person, you have no say in that matter. So, you know, I, there are lots of things that I oppose, but I can't find the time. I, where do these people get the time? How in the world do they make a living when they're staying around holding signs all the time? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, we use this one as an example, not really to talk about trucking, but to talk about property rights. And property rights are also something that need to be considered when you're screaming and crying about the brokers or the shippers or the receivers or whoever it is, the truck stop owners, the person that, that are the, the persons who are being demonized in social media for simply existing. Well, they have private property rights too. They have a right to the product of their labor. They have a right to the product of the contracts that they make. And you have a right to say no. And you have a right to say yes. If you don't like what somebody's paying, well, then don't do it. But shut up about it. And stop trying to demonize me somehow because, you know, I choose to take a, a load that you didn't. Um, you got anything to add about uh, freight rates and property rights? Um, no, I think you uh, pretty well covered that in this one and uh, some of it in the last podcast. So the other thing is the driver shortage. There seems to be a lot in the media this week. The American Trucking Association is spending a lot of time uh, and a lot of money propagating this driver shortage. Now, you know, I've been in the business a lot longer than, than Zeke has, and I can't remember a time in almost 20 years that we haven't been talking about a driver shortage. I'm not – I don't have a, a hard – core position on this other than to say I don't buy it because the the number one reason that I personally don't buy the driver shortage is if there's a driver shortage that means there's a truck shortage well if there's a truck shortage then that means there's a capacity shortage and rates would not suck as bad as they have over the last 12 months if there was a capacity slash truck slash driver shortage I've heard some people say uh, another friend of mine uh, whose opinions I find generally solid said, well, it's the, uh, the word that's missing is cheap. Uh, there's a shortage of cheap drivers, cheap labor, which I guess the, uh, the fundamental behind that argument is to say uh, that the big carriers are lobbying the ATA to get the ATA to get the government to do something, which I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is they're supposed to do, um, to somehow increase the pool. But it's one of those straw man arguments that's not doesn't have much more basis than the brokers are keeping all the money and that's why freight's cheap. W what do you think about this driver shortage and uh, 
do you think there is one? And if there is one, what's to be done about it? Yeah, I don't give it much credit. When uh, when my fleet manager starts calling me saying, hey, you need to hurry up and deliver this load because we've got 10 more loads that need to be run this week. And, uh, you know, when are you going to get delivered? Hurry up. We've, we've got more freight. Uh, I, I haven't seen that uh, in my five years. I mean, there's been occasional weeks here and there in peak times where I'll get pre-plans you know, us, us drivers know what pre-plans are. That's, you know, you're, you're, you're two hours away from your destination and they've got another load for you. That, that's just not happening. In fact, yeah, it's, it's kind of like seeing in 2015, a right. Yeah. In 2015, in fact, it's, it's been even worse the, the spring and, and summer. Um, you know, it's to the point where drivers sit for hours waiting for loads. Um, that, that sounds like the opposite to me. That doesn't sound like a driver shortage. And, uh, it could be it could be these major carriers that um you know the, the these uh, nerds nerds behind desks that are running numbers and try to squeeze uh, squeeze more pennies out of a dollar and uh, you know perhaps that's their their idea of a good plan to uh, uh increase the pool and uh have more uh drivers uh perhaps you know more more new drivers uh, I even heard that there is a, f- a few of the major carriers are trying to lower and reduce the training programs and get more drivers on the road, um, you know, which I guess is uh, their their choice to try and do if they want to. But you're going to have more accidents that way and um, wind up on tri- twisted truckers. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I I, uh, I try to logically. You know, work my way through it. Okay, I'm a big carrier. Uh, what benefit is is it to me to increase the driver pool? Well, if you're not increasing the freight pool, all you're doing is increasing capacity, which is going to drive down rates. Of course, most of the large carriers can spread their expenses out enough to where they can handle lower rates, and 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 often do. Um, you know, I, I can give you a, a real world example. I was working a dedicated run for Schneider, uh, running Sears out of Columbus, Ohio. And I would go over to like, uh, I'd have like lawn tractors and stuff. And I would go over and, and have a couple of stops. And then a lot of times I would come back to Columbus empty. And this was 2010. So they, Schneider used to have a, uh, they would do like a radio program on a cassette tape and they would give them out at all the, uh, the operating centers and so they had this guy, and he would kind of host a little radio program. I think they did it quarterly or monthly or whatever. And they would interview different people throughout the corporation to kind of introduce, you know, they spoke all kinds of corporate ease. And I don't know how many truck drivers were keeping up with that. Uh, but I remember they interviewed this one girl, and she was talking about East Coast Dedicated. And I knew immediately she was talking, I was one of the people she was talking about, well, we have trucks that will routinely come back through 400 miles empty. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. So what they would do is they created a sales team that would go out and solicit customers and say, okay, well, we don't have anything booked with you right now, but we've got a truck that's coming past your place and going to Columbus empty anyway. So we'll just give you a super deal if you got something to put on the truck. And there was lots of times that it would come up in the last minute. I'd run over to Baltimore and I'd pick something up. And and she even said, you know, sometimes we're 
we're offering them rates of 50 and 60 cents a mile um, just because, because making 50 or 60 cents was better than making zero. So the logically, I think you can get to the argument to say, well, the driver shortage, if there is one, the only ones that are short drivers are the, the large carriers. They're the ones that have the money for the lobbying. The American Trucking Association is their, well, I almost used a bad word, is their uh, puppet and their representative. It's the American Trucking Association. ATA's never done anything for me. I, I can promise you that. Uh, uh, either as a company driver, an individual, or an owner-operator. Um, every time I see ATA in a story, I'm thinking, well, you know, how am I about to get screwed, uh, you know, so they can hobnob and, and, and play around with politicians. So logically you can say, well, you know, if they keep perpetuating this driver shortage meme, and maybe they're going to try to get the government, like you said, to lower the driving age to 18, which would open up, oh, wow, a can of worms. Uh, but also get the government to spend money on training programs and truck driving schools, which is also going to go mainly into the company's pockets. So you can make that, uh, you know, that argument for corporate greed and evil. But that also can, you know, it could be something completely different. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. And and I don't, you know, go ahead. We also have to remember the um, the all the reason that you and I are here, and the reason the carrier is here is to serve the customer. And uh, if I were in business right now and I were shipping things, I'd be I'd be pretty ecstatic that uh, rates are this low. I think you told me the dollar fifty is something like the the average rate right now and this time last year it was over two dollars a mile if i'm not mistaken yeah i think the last DAC um, report was like uh i mean it's still up around two dollars uh for like for van and and flatbed mm -hmm. volume really is the problem uh you know basically what i'm seeing some an outside observer even being an owner operator working inside the landstar system with a direct customer i'm i'm not uh I'm not experiencing what the spot market people are going through, but I think this where volume is so low and the market is so weak that you'll have these wild swings where one day, you know, uh, Chicago will be booming and rates will be good, and then the next day the bottom falls out of it and everything goes to $1.50. Now, as it averages out, I think it's still averaging out decent rates, you know, that, that you can still stay in that, probably dollar ninety to two twenty five range, but you gotta work your butt off to find it and you gotta, you know, scrape and claw and and, and deadhead and, and all that stuff. So when you compare because here's the big picture, right? When you compare the rates to last year, they're vastly different, but fuel is real close to half. Yep. Absolutely. You know, um you know, my fuel cost, my truck has been getting fantastic fuel mileage over the last ninety days. And with a 7.4 average, you know, I, I'm my fuel cost is lower than it's been in five years. And, and so yep. you have to consider that, you know, if you're losing 25% or 25 cents, um, you know, my fuel, I think my fuel this week, 
on my run was 23. And I can remember getting 60, you know, 55 and 60 cents a mile regularly. It was just, that was just the normal fuel surcharge. Well, that means I've lost, mm-hmm. you know, what, 35 cents a mile just in fuel surcharge. Uh, well, there's your, you know, there's your $2 down to 165 right there just in fuel surcharge. So I think we got addicted to fuel surcharge. Um, and then everybody got happy on uh, fuel mileage. You know, and we all start bringing our fuel mileage way up, and we're just making a killing on this fuel surcharge, and then the market cools yep. off, and it makes it look even worse than it actually was. So, Yep. No, I don't think we have the problem that um, the media is trying to portray. No. Um, but certainly, uh, certainly if, if the end goal is to serve the customer, and I think it is, that, that goal is twofold to – Number one, provide the best service you can, be on time and be courteous and, and move move safe miles. And number two, offer the best price. Um, and if that price is is lower than what uh, what you like, I don't remember who it was that, that that described it this way, but they said a, a deal will never be struck, a, a transaction will never take place until both parties uh, agree and want what the other has more than what they have both have the idea of a higher and a lower the the customer wants to pay less the driver is going to want more and until they come to a middle ground there won't be a deal yeah um there was a thing about um this morning that i saw and i can't find it i'm looking for it it was about a a a freight theft Mm -hmm. and uh it was like a bulletin released by some freight watch uh, security company. A guy picks up a load, um, tells him that he's got six and a half hours to drive. And if you've hauled the high value stuff, you know, they say, oh, drive 200 miles and don't stop. Oh. Well, the 200 mile red zone. Well, he stopped inside the red zone somewhere in North Carolina and went to take his 10 hour break. Well, he, and it says he comes back to the truck an hour later and the truck and trailer are gone. Wow. So he calls the company. The customer, the company activates the uh, whatever, the you know they push the red button, <laughs> and there's tracking devices inside the um, inside the product. And so they find the tractor. Oh wow! Like ten miles away, they find the trailer sixty miles away, untouched. Mm. Um, everything has been recovered. Uh, seal was unbroken. And what I was looking for was the word that they used that basically they laid it all on the driver, 100%, as as they should. Uh, I was just, I was trying to look for that exact little phrase. Um, But, you know, I've hauled high-value stuff. uh, uh, My cousin Joe and I were talking about this the other day. We used to run team for Schneider, and we would haul cigarettes Mm -hmm. out of uh, North Carolina, out to the West Coast. And you had a you know a special word that you had to put in the Qualcomm anytime you stopped. And so if you stopped the truck for any reason, and I remember one of the loads, the the the, the password is Arizona. Um, and, you know, <laughs> so you would you would stop the truck, and then immediately you'd have to type in Arizona and send the message, so they would know it was you. And then when you got ready to move again, you had to put the password in again. And then we would get to some kind of marshalling yard in California, and then we would have an armed guard that would follow us to the next, like across the 
you know, the street or around the block or whatever, and they would have an armed guard that would, you know, of course, Joe pointed out, it's like, we go 2,400 miles, but that last two miles, we got to have an armed guard. Um, <laughs> and we used to have, a, we would do cell phones out of Fort Worth up to Louisville. And we had an armed uh, escort in a car behind us that followed us from Fort Worth to Louisville with huh, cell phones. I've heard stories like that. Wow. Yeah, yeah it was crazy. And, and dude was up all night. And I'm like, we got this guy jocked up and God knows what, and he's got and he's got a gun. you know. <laughs> so, hey, that's awesome. But you're absolutely right. Uh, and, you know, and I've, I've gone on about this in other podcasts. We... We've got a selfishness problem where we everything's about us. Oh, it's about me. No, it's not about you. You're you're just a you're just a minute little tiny cog in the wheel of a massive industry with a million moving parts and everything begins and ends with the customer. Yep. If we'll just focus on the customer, everything else will work itself out. The the fuel will work itself out. The, the money will work itself out. Uh, you know, the, the building and growing our businesses will all work out if we'll just focus on the customer and put ourselves secondary. I mean, I'm sure there's a biblical lesson in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, we, we've, we've all heard this stuff before, but we want to act like that uh, we've all got to be cutthroat. You know, we want to, we want the government to protect us from people being cutthroat, but we're supposed to behave that way too. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and if you uh, are anybody that learns anything about economic theory or uh, any of the the libertarian type um, ideas, you'll actually be happy uh, to offer a service to a customer like we do at a better rate because we know in the end we haven't lost that money that money that the customer saves ultimately goes on to the consumer you and i we're consumers in just about every industry there is um and ultimately our lives are are bettered um yeah it's, it's a it's a big cycle and you can look at it one of two ways you can look at it as a predatory vicious cycle uh, like a lot of people do, and, and they hold up signs and they whine about it. Or you can learn something, pick up a book, listen to a podcast, uh, and learn something about economics and think, hey, if I can save my customer 10 cents a mile, uh, whether it's for me being uh, economic and driving 58 miles an hour instead of 75, um, hey, that, that savings gets to me eventually. And um the whole country, really. And I, th I think one of the things that the ignorant among us, and, and that sadly that includes some owner-operators, the ignorant among us that don't understand, you know, let's say you want to have a minimum freight rate, like you want to have a minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you do? And I've asked this question before. What do you do with the good stuff? What do you do with the specialized stuff that, that does pay and is worth $10 a mile? Versus the load of toilet paper that's barely worth 90. You know, just last Monday, uh, I did kind of an, an accessory load uh, where I go to a customer, I pick up, drive out the front gate, turn left, drive six miles, turn left again, bump the dock, make $400 to my truck in two hours. Well, 
what do you do with that? I mean, if you're going to have, you know, oh, you want a minimum freight rate to make you feel good. Well, if I go do that same load at your minimum 250 or your minimum $3, I'm going to make 20 bucks, you know, instead of making 400. Uh, but they don't think that through. They just say, oh, well, you know, well, I want to feel good. That's what matters. Uh, no, well, this goes back to something you said in one of your first podcasts. Uh, you've got to stop thinking about mileage. Stop thinking about dollars per mile, cents per mile, and start getting into a mindset of revenue and providing a service and understanding what it means when you haul short hops and what it means to haul coast to coast and what it means to be specialized. If you don't ever think about those things, you're going to be those guys that whine about um, cents per mile, cents per mile. And, yeah. and uh, you're, you're going to be the same guy that wants uh, the carrier to pay you six weeks vacation and maternity leave and <laughs> um, you name it. You know, you're always asking for something um, when you should be trying to figure out how you can be more productive and be a, a better uh, provide a better service, which yeah. is ultimately how you make more money, yeah. which is what we want to do out here. Make more money. <laughs> my, my uncle, you know, he's since passed on and drove a truck for 40 years. Uh, and you know, when he said to me that day, it's not what you make a mile, it's what you make a week. I don't think he, I think, I mean, I know what he was saying at that time, you know, of, well, don't go work somewhere for more money just because you may not make more money. Uh, I don't think he understood how profound that was. He was never an owner operator. He just hold liquor uh, for yeah. you know forty years. Um, and the other, you know, the other one that I got from my friend Dan, who he probably stole it from somebody else. But if you, you'll never know your profit unless you know your cost. Uh, you know, yeah. if you don't understand the very minimum, you know, I can tell, and I can tell you, mine's ninety cents. It takes ninety cents a mile to run this truck pay my fuel, my maintenance, my cell phone bill, my insurance, everything that it takes, every deductible expense for this truck is 90 cents a mile. Well, if I go out and pull for a buck 50, I'm making double what I did as a company driver. You know. Yep, absolutely. If I go out and pull for a dollar 70, then I'm making double what the best company drivers making now. Well, you know, my average rate last year, I think, was 191. So, because I was, yeah, 191 because I was putting a dollar a mile in my pocket and my cost was 90 and a half or something. So, uh, I just had a guy today stop me. And I love when people walk up to me and say, What do you think about Landstar? My response every time is, <laughs> Well, they're going to have to run me off because I ain't never leaving. I, I promise you that. And so I went through and, you know, and I explained to him and answered all the, the same questions. And, yeah. and, I, and I said, uh, you know, and I could tell he's wanting to say, what about the money? I said, look, dude, I'm putting a dollar a mile in my pocket. You know, go find me a company driver job where you can make a dollar a mile. Because not, they're not out there unless you're hauling maybe radioactive or, you know, maybe you're pulling, driving for NASCAR or, or you know. <laughs> You know, maybe you're making big money that way, but you're not going to make that kind of money driving your average run-of-the-mill company truck. I know there are some guys uh, who, but they're the major minority, 
that they've got a great deal with a great company owner, small, probably less than 20 trucks, and they're making, they're working on percentage, and they're getting a piece of the pie, and they're making great money. Hey, man, I'm not mad at you. More power to nope. you. I just draw the line if you're going to say my deal's great and being an owner-operator sucks. Well, that's wrong, and that's what I told that guy today. <laughs> uh, he said, well, you know, I've heard some people with Landstar being an owner-operator. And I said, look, if anybody tells you in 2015 that you cannot make money as an owner-operator, they, they either A, have never done it, and they're simply repeating what they've heard at the truck stop counter, or B, they have done it and they failed, and they're blaming everybody on the planet but themselves for their own failure. That's just the bottom line. Yep, and uh, pick up. I dare you to pick up a, a business book written by anybody that's a, a millionaire today that doesn't say failure is going to happen. Oh yeah, um, and, and to embrace it and to uh, learn from it. It's uh, you know it, it's the quitters that give up. Those are the failures. It's it's the guys that get back up and they get back on the horse. They're the ones you find on the covers of magazines someday. Yeah. Well, I think we've uh, covered those topics uh, pretty well. I think our maiden voyage. Uh, I'll take it. So, I think it went well. So you betcha. So uh, we'll look forward to doing this again. I, I, you know, just as far as the format goes, I, I think, you know, I enjoy conversational debate type programs. I mean, there are some people that can do a solo uh, program all by themselves. Jason Stapleton does a pretty good job at that. Um, yep. Uh, but I'm not him, and I'm certainly not Tom Woods. Uh, where I can just go, you know, all the time. And so I really want to build on this format and be able to have that conversational uh, back and forth. Um, I think it would be a lot more enjoyable to listen to than to just sit around and listen to me flapping my gums. So this is Episode 8. We'll close it with this. Uh, Hit me up with an email, anamericantruckdriver at gmail.com. Hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash driver, twitter.com slash truckingzar. Hit me up on the Twitter. And that's all for now. <laughs>